Happy Tuesday, everyone. Hope you guys are having an amazing day. Thank you for tuning into In the Fight with Bo Templin. This week on the podcast, we have my first ever guest on the show. He is one of the brightest minds in combat sports. I have learned so much from him over the last few years. He's just a wizard when it comes to this stuff. Today on In the Fight, the one, the only, Mr. Robin Black. This is 1.37 p.m. Stories of hustle and grind from the intersection of culture, style, music, and sports. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday, April 26th. It is 9.15 a.m. here in San Diego, California. And today on In the Fight with Bo Templin, we will have on my very first guest of the show. Back in December, we had an incredible conversation. He is one of my favorite minds in combat sports. Honestly, one of my favorite minds in just entertainment today. Robin, I have learned so much from you over the years. Today on In the Fight with Bo Templin, the one, the only, Mr. Robin Black. Thanks, brother. Yeah, and I love hanging out with you, man. You you are very thoughtful. You're you're always trying to look at things in a different way, which I appreciate. It's very easy for us to kind of get stuck in the same linear thinking when it comes to fighting or any kind of art. And so, uh, yeah, we have fun hanging, man. Well, something that you've really kind of instilled into me is that fighting is changing every single day so if we look at it the same way we did yesterday we are going to be sorely mistaken for what will happen tomorrow and you've you've opened my eyes to that a lot well that's thank you that's a compliment and that's the kind of thing i'm hoping to do you know over time like i realized that i my gig is to enrich the experience of consuming this kind of art you know, I realized that over time, because every now and again, whatever you do should check in and go, what is it I do? Do I just follow the formula that I've always been doing? Because if so, I'm not going to do something meaningful. Because as you said, not just fighting changes, the world changes constantly. Everyone, how we think, what we say, what is cool and uncool and relevant and irrelevant, um, acceptable and unacceptable. We are changing. The world is changing. The context is changing. Everything is changing. And I think it's really, really important that we look at not just, it doesn't matter how we look at our entertainment, sports, art. It doesn't matter that much, but it matters how we look at the world. And we look, we, we practice how to think when we consume shit that we like, when we play video games or watch fighting or whatever we do. So this is a great way to start because when you were on my show in December, you said something that I believe not many people believed in as well. I, you said something that stood out to me and that we were talking about uh, Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. Mm -hmm. And, you know, immediately I said, well, you know, it is a rematch and they're vastly different fighters, right? They changed. Mm -hmm. And and we went on to a really nice tangent there talking about how different the two fighters were. And something you said was, if you want to look at the second fight, don't look at the first fight. And that really stood out to me. And, and obviously it proved to be like somewhat true. Like there's a lot to their rematch, but there is some truth to what you said about their first fight was not their second fight. Mm -hmm. And so I think this would be a fun place to start is that I know it's looking ahead to months away, 
but I am curious what your advice would be to people trying to look into the third fight between Poirier McGregor now that we've seen it happen twice. Okay. So uh, this brings up an interesting thing. I don't know if we talked about this, but I've talked about it a lot over the last couple of months because this is in line with that, with my way of consuming fighting as the most important aspect of it is that it is ever changing. Right. So, uh, so looking at what is, is pretty irrelevant because that's kind of what was, that's the, my point. People will say, well, I can only go with what is and what is, is this last fight. It's like, no, that's what was. They were those people in that context doing it that way. This is a bit of a tangent, uh, but that's what I do. Um, but I think I said to you, I've certainly said it a lot. It's certainly been a big in my line of thinking, and it is even more so now. Um, at one point, we would throw a Superman punch. We'd be like, isn't that great? I can throw a Superman punch. I'll fake the kick. He'll bite on the kick, and then I'll punch him. Over time, people saw that whole thing, and it became obvious. It's like I, I can trick you know, you with a card trick you don't know, but I can't trick Penn and Teller because they know the fucking trick, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you, oh, I would much rather have somebody try to throw a Superman punch at me than be forced to have to throw one because that's better. And the same thing is happening with leg kicks. We've been saying it for a long time. People may notice it after the weekend. They may not. But if, if the reason everybody's spamming each other with leg kicks, and it worked great for Dustin Poirier against Conor McGregor, is because they actually, we think there are no consequences. We think it's free. It's fucking free. Because what happens is an a, a, uh, offense becomes somewhat popular. Again, it's not new. Kicking somebody low in the leg is not new. It's ancient. But it becomes popular again. And then people get very good at the offense. Immediately. Meanwhile, for the last three years, people have been getting very good at the defense. Uh, they think Chris, that Chris Weidman's leg breaking in half is random. It's not random. It is what you do when everybody is leg kicking you. You create ways to discourage them from leg kicking you by checking them, by hurting them. You don't, you don't assume you're going to break their leg in half. But the intention is to hurt them. Whether... Um, whether that is so specifically the case in this case or not, you turn the shin out. You also land the counter. You, so what Connor is currently doing is not just going, how do I deal with the calf kicks? Is how do I fuck this guy up if he throws a calf kick, right? Dustin is smart. So Dustin is right there going, if I was Connor, I would be training, rehearsing, preparing how to hurt Dustin when he leg kicks me. Not just how to not get leg kicked, how to use that as an opportunity to hurt him. A chance word opportunity, something about it I just don't like, I don't know why. But the chance, the, the, the turn to, to hurt him. Um, and so I'm, I'm Dustin and I have to anticipate and prepare for that change. I could ch prepare for it by faking the leg kick, making him think I'm gonna do a drawing out, whatever his counter is, whatever. But so immediately, the reason we cannot use that last fight as a, as a blueprint for this fight is because those two humans and the six or eight key humans around them that are brilliant are all using that fight as ways to retool, reapproach, re-strategize, re-prepare for each other, and they're both doing it. 
and they're both doing it to what they think the other will be doing. So for any of us to sit here and think that because we watched, um, you know, 110 UFC shows and we heard commentary, which is not based on education, it's based on entertainment and hype and, and many other perfectly good reasons. It's not, it's not intended to teach us things, but we're on Twitter. We're like, well, the key to Conor McGregor is you got to kick the calf. Well, that's great because you know what Connor is? He's just a video game character who gets kicked in the calf and never changes. It just That's just not real. It's just not the real world, right? The real world isn't take a snapshot, assume that these guys are, are, are have permanent attributes. They are that. And now we, the observer, can figure out how to beat them. It's all nonsense. It's all, all of it exists entirely for entertainment purposes, to make people buy pay-per-views, to sell t-shirts, to do all of these things. None of it is real. What is real is what I'm telling you now. And I'm not the only one who knows it. I just have spent enough time looking at it and being like, wait a second, why do we talk in nonsensical ways? What could we do different? Uh, what's really going on? What will, what happens when I speak to Mike Brown about this for an hour or 90 minutes or two hours chilled with no camera on? What real information do we gain? Then I have that information and I just cannot in good conscience look at a camera and pretend that's not true. So I just have to go down this path of trying to be truthful. You know, with this this whole calf kick conversation, it's something that I had brought up to you because we went through like yeah. the trends of MMA, mm -hmm. right? We kind of went through like the phases yeah. of it. And of, of course, the moment we talked about it on the, the podcast, it's exploded in popularity and conversation. Yeah. And obviously that's the McGregor effect. You know, anytime he's in a fight, whatever he does, it's labeled as the new wave or whatever it may be yeah. in but, this case what was done to him but yeah yes yeah yeah, yeah correct yeah. um in the fight uh when poirier fought mcgregor the second time i think something noticeable at least to the the naked untrained eye was that connor was trying to not necessarily catch the calf kick or leg kick but he was trying to return immediately with a left like a left straight down the mm -hmm. middle um the question I kind of had was when you throw a calf kick, you are presumably on one foot, correct? Yes. Like you, yeah. you are left on one foot. That that means two things. You are immobile when you throw yeah. one because you were only on one yeah. foot. Or you're less mobile or different mobile. Yeah, 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 yeah correct. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing, and I this is speculation, so I'm more asking you, is in boxing they say don't bounce around too much because then if you get hit, while you're not grounded and stable, you're you're gonna eat the shot worse than if you are grounded with two legs firmly planted. I, my question is, is if Dustin hypothetically continues to throw that kick again, Connor, I assume, is going to try to exploit one of those two things um, by nature. But I was curious, what didn't he do in that second fight to properly counter the calf kick so outside of checking it because that's what everyone said but i, I assume that connor wants to do more than just check the kick yeah. i assume he's gonna want to come back and make dustin pay for it and we saw that happen he just he seemed to be a half second off i was curious what your analysis was when it came to like that returning left hand off of the calf kick so i spoke to people like connor people very close to them about it and you know a lot of the narrative, and they even said it, Connor even kind of fell into the narrative, but that's not because he's lying or trying to be 
to misdirect anybody. It's because narratives are powerful. So the narrative to people who don't, you know, literally don't know fight, they don't fight or train or whatever. People would be like, he had a boxing heavy approach because he fought Mayweather and was preparing for therefore this change as a result, the kick, kick. it's like, they even perpetuated that. And it's easy because what we do in, in t television and in media is we try to take complexity and make and simplify it. But when you simplify really complex things as, as, and you do it more and more over time, essentially you start completely, I mean, lying is the wrong word because it's not an intent, but you're just not telling the truth anymore. None of that was true. Connor didn't do rounds boxing wearing boxing gloves and baggy pants when he prepared for Dustin Poirier. He did the same thing that all martial artists are doing, which is big glove sparring, hitting with kicking and takedowns, but not a lot of work on the ground, and small glove sparring, lighter hitting, but lots of work on the ground. Those two things in combination are what rounds he did. Um, and when you spoke to him and the people around them, they were essentially they were like, we get half kicked all the time. Every gym, this is not, it feels new to people who don't study something. Uh, but you know, Michael Chandler calf, was calf kicked by Brett Primus mm -hmm. in like 2017 and lost his title. And in fact, it wasn't a calf kick; it was directly at the insertion behind the knee, which is exactly where um, uh, Anthony, Anthony Smith, Smith smashed somebody. And the same thing; it's like our 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 deep misunderstanding happens because the nature of television is such that we. And think of what it is. So Joe Rogan's the best. Take any anyone who anyone else who does it. Think of what we do. We have seconds to try to make sense of something to somebody who is educated only through watching sports. So we have to say extreme generalities, but that's not the truth of the matter. That's what when we watch sports, we watch football our entire lives. So I'll pump fake to this. We think we know football. We don't have a fucking clue about football. We know only the language of sport, which is not reality. So as we're discussing this, people are like, well, it's a calf kick, blah, blah, blah. That fucking nerve wraps all the way around the bone. You can access it through the insertion of the hamstring at the back of the knee. You can access it actually at the insertion of part one of the quadricep heads of the knee. You can access it by striking the meat of the calf, like that nerve, that deadening of the leg is accessible through all of that. So anyways, Connor got hit a lot in training like everyone else on earth. If, if, if just bleed 420 on Twitter is like calf kicks, they work. What logical person doesn't think that Conor McGregor and, and Kavanaugh and all of his coaches are of course have been obsessed with that. Kavanaugh was present when, when uh, um, Michael Chandler lost his title that day. Michael, uh, he was in Chicago. I was in Chicago. Actually, was that Chicago? Don't think so. I think he fought a pit, pit bone, wherever it was, California, wherever it was. He was president. Of course, they're thinking of that. The Connor got kicked there like every other fighter. Since 2017, every pro fighter in every gym on planet Earth has been spamming each other with calf kicks. Uh, but they wear pads. They were pads. They both have pads. And they smash each other and they think, fuck that guy. That doesn't hurt. I'm going to go and I'm going to punch him. But then you remove the, 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 the pads and you train a bit. You still aren't doing it with the full psychological and emotional arousal of the fight. Now you are. Now, now uh, Poirier hits him twice and his, and his leg is dead. 
And now he's still thinking, he's still dealing, he's still trying to process it. Now he's trying to grab it. That was probably never the intention. Although he is good at catching kicks and striking. So the whole thing just changed, right? The whole dynamic of everything changed because now he got a dead leg. That wasn't something we planned for and something he'd never experienced because in training, it just never happened, right? So all of that became new information for him to deal with. Um, but the reality of it, and you're asking about countering it, there's a thousand ways to counter it. I think Jan Blakowicz knocked out Corey Anderson. I believe someone two, three years ago throwing a right hand during a calf kick. You throw a right calf kick at me, I read it, and I react early on it, and I knock you unconscious with a right hand. You're going to see shitloads of that in the coming months. People may not identify. They might not spot that that. Only a month earlier, that would have been a calf kick where my leg is injured. Now it's an unconscious man for throwing the calf kick. But the game is changing rapidly. Chris Weidman will not be the only person with a broken leg. Because now we all have believed that these calf kicks are consequence-free. We're at distance. Distance, not, nothing's happening. I can kick you in the calf. Maybe your leg will de deaden. Now you'll start to attack me. We think it's a freebie. There's no freebies in fighting. You're either going to get knocked unconscious. So, and, and another aspect is, in one way, every single kick that anyone throws is different. In another way, they're all just fucking kicks. Do you know what I mean? These are the beautiful things uh, about trying to truly understand an art form is that you have to keep both of those two truths in your mind at the same time. You know, it's a calf kick. It's a thigh kick. It's a kick to the back of the knee. It's a kick to the body. But it's just a fucking kick. It doesn't matter. And strategically speaking, Connor fought a rematch with Nate Diaz. And one of the primary differences he used to win the second fight was adding leg kicks to his strategy. And then Dustin did it to him. He should have known that. He should have, he experienced it on the other side. Calf, thigh, back of the knee, doesn't matter. Strategically, but Dustin did to beat Connor the second time, what Connor did to beat Nate the second time. Brilliant. Yeah. And it was one of the things I immediately brought up. I, I found it almost hard to believe that Connor wasn't aware of it. Of course he was aware. Of course he's he was. been training every day for the last 10 years of his life in an MMA gym. Yeah. If, if that's the case, you're aware of Kafka. Yeah. yeah and, and if a kid watching UFC on Twitter is like, blah, 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 calf kicks, what Connor doesn't, everybody's been doing them and having them done to him. He knew about it. He just wasn't prepared for the for the biological consequences that sometimes happen. And, and they've become not sometimes like rarely on rare occasions. They've become quite common because people are really committing to them. But because they're really committing to them, people are going to get their fucking leg broken. Uh, and that's what happened to Chris. So, and this is, I think, actually a good place to kind of spin this conversation a little bit. Nama Yunus versus Wei Li over the weekend on Saturday. And we don't need to like break down the entire fight or anything, but something we saw was that Wei Li moved her hips back, at least again, to the naked eye. Uh, Robin, I assume yeah. you will correct me if yeah. I'm ever wrong about yeah. anything here. From the naked eye, Wei Li backed up and moved her hips in preparation for what appeared to be like an inside leg yeah. kick. Then Nami Yunus yeah. landed the head, like the high head kick. Yeah. Am I wrong there, or uh, are we going to see more of that as well? It looked like it. Yes, we'll definitely see more of that, because if you're worried about me doing something to you, 
uh, and you react to that, I'll do something else. You're busy. And think of it in many ways, not just what you do with your body, but you're deploying your mental resources. You're deploying your mental resources here. So what's up? What's not? Where, where are they not? Here. Yeah. Right? Your focus is a very, very detailed thing. Just studying focus. I've tried to study how the brain uses the different types of focus, in, uh, inward focus, outward focus, executive focus. You are, you're using your, your focus, where to, how to consume the information around you. You're using that in different ways, you know? And so we're, she's now using that. But there's another element to it that's super cool uh, to that kick. And I, if you go back and watch, I'll show you. It's basically um, when, but typically, if I'm going to come towards you, let's say I'm going to throw a kick, but I'm going to do anything or move away from you. When you see this leg move, what you'll normally see is this. And what your brain thinks happens is this. So watch my front leg. I move away, right? So you see my leg move, and in your mind, you think I've moved away. And you'll notice among the things Rose does in that sequence is there's something is happening. There may be little faints, but the biggest thing, at least to me, the biggest lie she tells is this leg moves back. But instead of it moving back where my whole body moves back, this leg alone moves back, and this leg stays put. What does that mean? That means I'm actually closer to you than you think. Right? I've lied. I've tricked your brain into thinking I did this when in fact all I did was this. So the diff, the, your eyes distance from the closest part of my body is this foot. I've now lied and I've taken this foot and I've brought it further away from you. So in that split second, your brain thinks I moved further away from you. It's a really old karate trick. Like, you know, we jump back or we pretend to jump back and we step forward. It's a tiny thing. But in the sequence of things that she does, you'll notice that she brings it back to here and then slips in with both. So in what it is, instead of slipping all the way out and all the way back to the same place, she stays in the same place, lies about moving away and becomes closer. Do you, do you, do you pick up? Do you That's incredible. It makes it makes so much sense. And it is a lie to your brain and that's the fucking game none of this shit is happening in words because the amount of time it takes me to say words like lie about this then step here then pretend to kick the inside and then do that if my brain is if we're fighting and my brain is trying to go bo's using a fake right now then he's going to lean into here now this is happening faster than words so what wow. it's it's my, so we can't think in words so we have, there's two different primary systems at which you pr process things. One is, Bo, what is two plus two? Four. What is 247 times 14? Ooh. But you could do it. You How could. would you do it? It would take, a, that would not just take longer, it would be a different type of thinking. She, sure. We have to train so that Bo, what is 412 times 11, becomes processed like, Bo, what is two plus two? So it happens by itself. How can something happen by itself when we're having a dynamic de physical debate? We have to train it. We, so, and that's what these guys are doing. They're trained to the point that the brain is making these choices and they literally watch themselves make it. So you start telling these lies to the brain 
and it believes what is happening to be one thing, and it's something different. So Wei Li's brain thought in that moment, not consciously, she used no words to think this, but the brain algorithmically believed Rose was further away than she was because of that one old karate lie. Now she actually was closer, and in that moment she slid in and she's kicked her in the face. And then in that time, the brain's now trying to process it if it thinks it's also getting kicked in the leg, also imagine too, that the, it's not just like, there's nothing about that kick that looked like the leg except for the distance. If you, from here, I might kick you in the face. From here, I can't reach your face. Mm -hmm. I can reach your inside leg. So the reason Rose acted and did that was because there was a lie in distance. Here, you believe is the closest I can reach there when in fact I could kick you in the face. So. It's, it's just, and this is everything about fighting. How we speak about it, he saw this and he did that. Oh my God, big right hand. Now he let, mm -hmm. that's all just television. It's not real. So it's very difficult for us if we are attached to these belief systems of what we think is really happening. We can have these conversations about fighting, but they're not very factual because we're talking about people processing a fight in words, which they are not doing. We're using words to describe something that is done without independent of words. So with when you see a, a, a magic trick, like the, the karate distance yeah. maneuver that you're talking about, yeah. you know, the, the sleight of hand almost. Yeah. How much, like when you see that happen, I'm at home and I say, wow, Trevor Whitman saw something. He's mm -hmm. brilliant. How much... I don't want to say credit are you giving to Trevor Whitman, but like um, how much do you attribute almost to him saying like, you know, we might be able to pull something off like that. Do you know, is that something like Trevor Whitman's students do, or is that more of a Nama Yunus habit that molded well with Whitman? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I don't know Trevor Whitman that well. I've spoken to him a couple of times. I know Dwayne Ludwig better and Dwayne's obsessed with Trevor's thinking. A lot of people are, mm -hmm. but I, if I talk to other people of this caliber of coaching, mm -hmm. I assume Trevor will, would agree. What he may say on TV or in the Instagram or whatever for the purposes of not of having conversation that people understand in the current modern, you know, the language of the time would be different than what he might say in a room full of martial artists. In a room full of martial artists, I suspect he would say, I honestly don't fucking deserve very much credit, right? That's what they mostly say and they mostly believe. You know, uh, again, it's something we do because we don't know what the fuck to talk about because we can't, we haven't mostly developed the language or the habit of trying to speak about these things in truth. We believe the audience, and I don't believe this, this is why we're having this conversation, but the large, the people who make television honestly believe the audience is stupid. And, and I don't say that lightly, and I don't say that to be mean. But I have had lots of conversations with executives who've literally been like, blah, 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 casual audience, yada, yada. The truth is, when you have these conversations and people who don't watch fighting hear this conversation, they'll find it infinitely more interesting than big right hand, oh my God, dished out a lot of ground a pound, it's over. My God, is this guy the greatest ever? The winner gets a title shot, striker versus grappler and a stylist. That's a language. That's a language that was created that is believed to be the, the, the modern language of fighting. And it's in fact, 
incredibly commodified, almost useless in reality, and really misleading. So we talk blah, 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 Trevor Whitman, yada, 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 Farad Sahabi, Duke, Rufus. All of these people are brilliant. And everyone I mentioned there are people I admire and have learned a tremendous amount from. When I go into their gyms, I just marvel at how brilliant they are. They will tell you they didn't fight that fight. They will tell you that all they could do is do their best. To, and if it happens that some week it's alpha male and then next week it's ATT and then right now it's Trevor Whitman, you know, all of these people will tell you, I just get fighters ready. You know, I'll, I'll prepare them in many ways. Rose has probably been playing that thing since she was young. And here's the other thing. A lot of this stuff isn't necessarily even strategized to provide the exact outcome or result. A lot okay. of the time, the thing I do just tricks your brain because your brain is, is making, if you're anticipating too much, you start to write how it's supposed to go, and that's when you get surprised. And Jorge, you know, got punched. Uh, uh, Usman literally threw a fake jab to a hook that became a fake hook to a pull to a punch. Fucking th that combination, you learn it in the first six months of being a boxer. There's a hundred thousand. There's there's eight hundred thousand people on Earth who can throw that combination. Uh, that combination didn't win the fight. Whoever taught, whether it was, um, you know, uh, uh, Henry Hooft, who taught him that combination, mm -hmm. or Trevor, who taught him that combination, it's irrelevant. I fucking know that combination. So do you. So does everybody watching this that has ever trained boxing. Combination didn't do shit. Combinations don't knock people out. Humans do. Humans. And, you know, it's the same, like, you know, guitars don't play music. People play the guitar. They're tools. Mm -hmm. This, these are tools. These are not, you know, the human expresses it. And and a hundred thousand people could throw that on pads, and Usman could throw that six hundred times. But in that moment, he did it. Not it wasn't what. So and maybe that's the best way to do it. What is fake pump jab, a fake hook to a pull to a right hand? What? It's not what. When? Why, how, those are what did it. He did it at the right time. He did it when Jorge's mind thought something else was happening. He did it right after he'd already set up a particular series of things that he may not have been like, I'm gonna throw a bunch of one, one twos and then a one pull two. He, it, it's just what he did. And it's in a lot of times in those moments, it happened. So what Trevor or Henry or anyone else would do would make him in the best state shape he could be in armed with the, the best tools that he could have, and most important, free to, to express them. And with full, when that punch had so much belief in it. That's more important than the what. The belief that was in that, and you see it, you see it in his fucking face, you see it in the, how deep he did it. That punch had so much self-belief in it. And, and you know, if you ask him, he might say, Trevor gave me that self-belief. He might say, Henry gave me that self-belief. He might say, you know, uh, sparring gave me that. It doesn't matter. It's all of it. It's all of it. So, you know, um, the great coaches are a huge part of it. The reason to even have this conversation with these fighters at this level to be capable of that, all of these coaches are brilliant. In five months, if a bunch of fighters happen to be Henry Hoof people or a bunch of them happen to be Matt Hume people or a bunch of them happen to be Faraz right now uh, or, you know, alpha male, 
none of them are better than the other, but in certain moments of their life, they're just just nailing it as a coach. They just have just the right fighter. They have just the right athlete. They build just the right relationship. That's a big one too. Big one. What type of relationship does does Rose need with a coach? A father, a best friend, a taskmaster, somebody who, for me, the my favorite coach ever was Billy Martin, who was a boxing coach. And there was something, something about him and me where I desperately wanted to please him. Just desperately wanted to please this man. I don't know what it was about his personality, him. I just wanted him to make him proud. And so sometimes it's really just that. And sometimes you see fighters leave the sort of, you know, third third and second tier coach as far as experience and being proven where they were successful. And it was really the relationship. And they go to a super gym and they become the same or not quite as good. You know, and the coaches are, these are the best coaches in the world right now. Uh, and from month to month or, or half a year to half a year, some will be hot. Some will be just really getting their shit together. But it's true of a lawyer and a doctor and a and a Uber driver and, and everything. We all, there are times where we're just fucking, we have it. You know, like we're just, we're getting the right sleep. We're doing the right food. We're, we're exercising just right. We're on top of our games. And Trevor's one of those guys right now. And he's brilliant. So one thing that, you know, you've emphasized for years is one, like the narrative and two is reaction. Like people's immediate reaction to things are fascinating at times because they're oversimplified. But the narrative does not guarantee the truth, but it also does not guarantee a lie either. A lot of times the narrative can also be the truth as well. So yes. I find find that interesting. And um with the with the Usman. Fight. I had one question for you, and I'm uh, you, you brought up the fight. So, yeah. in oh, early in the fight, and I don't know if this is what I saw or this was my perception of what I saw. He at times on two or three or four different occasions, he kind of threw like a loopier left hook. Like he he would. Um, yeah. I don't know if he was shooting or uh, mm-hmm. attempting a shoot, yeah. and then would throw a looping left hand. And, and immediately I was like, well, you know, I find that interesting for Usman. He's generally yeah. speaking, he's very like basic with his striking, not bad basic, yeah. just, yeah. just yeah. That's his style. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. stays very straight. He throws ones and twos, yeah. but he was throwing that big looping left hook. And I found that interesting. Was that left hook in your opinion to set up something later? Or do you think the left hook was the shot that he was trying to land or land. Do you know uh, what punch yeah, I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, the wide. So it, sometimes it could be, like when you're changing a, a fighter, sometimes you have a in particular intention and then a different thing happens and it's good, great. And it was the, the change that happened. That hook could have been there because they really believed that something of the nature of how Jorge moved mm-hmm. or moved last time or might move this time would be would work with that. I'll give you an example of one where it's specific. So, so Frankie Edgar knocked out Chad Mendez and, and I, and I talked to Mark Henry about it very specifically. Mark is brilliant and is a good friend. And uh, I was like, you know, Frankie went super wide and he said, and, and I, I did a breakdown of it, got removed because you can't break down UFC shit. They, they don't stand for that, uh, which is crazy, right? Like, you know, we, we haven't, we haven't yeah. been binked yet. So, we're keeping it hush hush, but we have yeah. not been binked yet. Wow, really? Have you and you've used footage? 
Yeah. I cannot confirm nor deny. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, but well, it's a crazy thing, right? You know, we're all the type of people who will in a modern you you fucking work for 137 p.m. Like you're a modern digital company, you know, the right modern way to do it is to empower all of your audience to share things uh, passionately not penalize them and turn them into enemies right but anyways that it's also not even entertainment purposes like what what you do what i do is education it's education and and i'm trying to forward push that and i'm sorry we're getting off on a tangent here but it's probably my least favorite thing about the ufc like it's my biggest complaint is that people can't analyze like how are we going to teach new fans how are we going to bring in new fans but if this not- is what i'm what i'm talking about too like if you are only if you only watch the ufc you and i this is this i'm not trying to be rude but you know if you are a if you take someone who only watches the ufc and you take somebody mm-hmm. who consumes a lot of different martial arts combat mm-hmm. sports different types of stuff the ufc audience is the is not only less educated but actually misunderstands things almost in a fake news kind of way they believe certain things that are untrue to be deeply true because of because of this very thing you know uh, the WWE is was the same model. You know, you have to use particular language. You know, you call them superstars, not wrestlers. It's the yeah. same kind of thing. There's certain language that that is just so ingrained in that broadcast that it's actually teaching audience or not fighters to believe they know something that is many things that are entirely untrue about the thing they're watching. But that's yes. that's hey, yes. it's not our business, right? Uh, when you said that's the thing you like the least about. Them, the things I love the most about getting to co- cover the UFC, I covered in on Sports Center in Canada, is the fighting. I love the fighting. I love mm-hmm. the fighters, and I actually like really like Dana. He's he's a. Mm-hmm. I like how driven he is, and now he's not perfect like it, nobody, but I really like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my my creative work with him has been cool. But what I don't like is it's fucking corporate. Like it's so corporate. Somehow you you when you're like super corporate, you have corporate policies and corporate execs who like couldn't give two fucks about martial arts. Yeah. Uh, yet you also want to present yourself as if you're the edgy, new, current, like you know, rebellious, um, uh, disruptive thing. That's just not true. You can't do that. Something is untrue there. You get to have Dana, who's really Dana, and then you get to have this corporate thing that's you know it just doesn't make sense but anyways we are digressing that wide hook mm-hmm. so usman throwing that wide hook could have been for many reasons that's the other thing we'll often this thing led to that thing and we'll be like well trevor whitman or, or henry hooft or usman planned this to set up that which created this i'm now even more careful to say if really there's evidence that says this actually mm-hmm. helped lead to this we don't have to claim that he planned that because he may not have. Literally, mm-hmm. he could be throwing wide hooks because one, they it's something in the belief of how they believed he would be moving, maybe based on past performance, but maybe based on something that, that they thought it would work. Or two, something about it would help him get him to the fence. Something about it would help him enter to the thigh. Something he did before that he had success. That, and But it may have inadvertently or just you know coincidentally also helped with the thing, which is the other thing. The, when these guys can perform to such a degree like Usman is, just saying, oh, my God, he beat this guy. And, oh, man, now he beat this guy. Look, he's the greatest ever. That part isn't – that is a good narrative that helps us sell a pay-per-view. It does the things we want it to do if we are the corporation. But the truth is 
being able to find a way and perform is something very difficult to understand. We can't just result. It's called resulting. Usman knocked out Jorge. Therefore, he's better. He's the best. That was a single punch. If he just mm-hmm. didn't throw that punch or Jorge moved in a different direction or Jorge happened to be wrestling or he, you know, hesitated, his toe got caught on a thing. That punch doesn't land. We have no idea how the spider web of the rest of the fight got. It's a so, single punch. I asked, I had uh, Anthony Pettis on the show last week and I just love the Pettis yeah, brothers. Me too. Love what they do. I mean, just talk about art exemplified. And unfortunately, Anthony had a loss on Friday. It was unfortunate, and I was pulling for him. And yeah. he had a—he really in round three, he brought it. He landed a, a left high kick, high like kick. flying knee, flying knee to follow right after. And I'm excited for him to return. And then, uh, obviously, Juan Archuleta versus Sergio is yeah. coming up here in uh, two weeks, right? Less uh, May eighth or Seven. May. Seven. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Seventh. Um, because I'm I'm just yeah. out of my mind excited for that fight as well. Yeah. Um. Uh, what? Where were we? Um. Oh, gonna, the, the, I asked. Single yes, moment. Yeah. Yes. I asked Anthony, "Does the best man always win in fighting?" And Good he question. said, "No, absolutely he, not. Absolutely." He was like, "There are so many factors: who you're training with, who you're coaching with, yeah. uh, your weight cut, your health, your yeah. mental health at the time." Yeah. He is so certain that that is not the case. And I just found that answer to be so interesting because that's exactly what we're talking about right now. The best man does not always win. But let's just say in the context of 12 fights, your George St. Pierre, your Usman, your Matt Hughes. I don't know why I picked all welterweights. uh, Your (laughs) your, uh, Jose Aldo back in the Mm -hmm. day, your Fedor. Mm -hmm. Let's say you had 15 fights. Maybe you were the best man, 11, 12, 13 of those. Mm -hmm. And on those nights, you did it. Mm-hmm. And the other ones, you weren't. You just got a, the, the moment. Just found the moment. You created one moment. You were losing. There were lots of Fedor fights where he was getting killed and then created a moment. He wasn't the best man on that night, but he, but he was the best man in that moment. And sometimes that's all you need. And there's something about these guys. That's what uh, Usman did. A lot of times, too, we'll look back and, we'll, oh, this guy destroyed this guy. You know, I, I think – Round one was even, and I, I didn't see the judges, but I bet some judges gave it to Jorge. Jorge was on his back doing damage, and round two. So Usman wasn't necessarily the best man, although he won, but he certainly was the best man in that moment. And mm-hmm. that's there's something about these guys that do win. And same with Khabib, you know? Khabib wasn't the best man against Ally Quinta that night, necessarily. Mm-hmm. He fucking won, though. And mm-hmm. he fi- and he found how to win because in the in the moments where you're equal to the other guy tonight, you got to get more out of you. And that's another skill. That's what makes them so great. It, we do a disservice when we just say, "Oh, they're the goat." You know, this guy destroys everybody. Nobody can touch him. It's not true, and it's not doing them in, any service. The real service is a lot of the times this guy's dominant. Then sometimes he's injured or something weird happens and he finds a way. And then other times he can be not winning and still creates a moment to win. That's more impressive. That wide range of what it will take you to win these fights. So much more inspiring. This is what you can, how you can learn about life and, and accomplishment by studying it in this way. By, by calling Fedor the GOAT, by calling 
Usman, the greatest welterweight of all time. I actually think you there's a scenario where you might be discrediting them for what they do. Yeah. Because what's the coolest thing about MMA or combat sports in general is that if we knew who would win, why would we watch? Right? Yeah, like for sure. if we knew 100%. for certain who would win, why would we watch? If we knew for certain that Fedor was the GOAT, well, then why would we watch any more yeah. of his fights? There's no danger present. But that's not true. And when Usman fights Masvidal, you can say that Usman is the greatest welterweight of all time. Yeah. But to say that that doesn't mean that Masvidal doesn't present a threat, you're yeah. you're taking away from Usman in that moment. And I think that's really unfair. Big time. Every, every time you step into a ring, into a cage, you are facing a very, very – present threat and that's what makes careers so amazing 100 100 percent. but this is all part of this narrative flaw and and our language flaw with and our and the very thing we started talking about the speaking of something that is ever changing in in permanent terms we've done a great disservice to all of these people once once everybody had a belt you know, once we got photos and everybody's wearing a belt and there's interim titles and champion versus mm -hmm. champion, that ceases to have meaning to people who don't know what something is. This, this desire to appeal to a broad audience created a broader audience with a, with a much shallower connection. Whether the, Now, they could have a deep connection to a brand. Three, three letters, they could have a deep connection to a story, they could have a deep connection to a television program, but they don't have a deep connection to the fighting. And they, if they did, you wouldn't need to put a belt on everybody. But once you put a belt on everybody, now, you know, only double champion gets us fucking going. Mm -hmm. But now once Connor was a double champion, like in Cormier and, and Amanda and, and, and mm -hmm. Segudo and Patricio Pitbull, and, mm -hmm. and once we have that, now only greatest of all time will get us fucking going. So every yeah. conversation, literally, is, is this guy the greatest of all time? And it's not the fault of the person asking. It's the fault of us who disrespected that person and treated them like they were stupid and, and created a narrative. I mean, it's just so, it, it's sad. These are the but greatest artists mm -hmm. in the world putting themselves at great personal risk and we're misrepresenting what they do by by thinking that superlatives and and hype will benefit them in the audience and over time it doesn't so it's essentially it's just inflation but instead of like you know they talk about this in uh like crime it's like oh if you arm the police with high level weapons then the criminals have to get higher weapons essentially that's what we're doing now it was like Oh, if you're a champion, it's great. Now you're a double champ. It's not, you know, it's it's yeah. it's not enough because now you're competing for the goat at all times. It's inflation with words. Robin, I have had you for 45 minutes, but just really, really quickly, um, Michael Chandler versus Charles yeah. Oliveira, because I know you've you've yeah. covered Michael Chandler's yeah. career for so long. I, I have to ask you about the fight. Um, and then I wanted to go over um, oh, and then Nate Diaz versus Leon Edwards, because yeah, you know, talking yeah. about the general audience, people are just yeah. going to be tuning in. Yeah. Um, I did want to talk though about Michael Chandler, just because you've covered him for yeah. so long over at Bellator, you have a great relationship yeah. with him. Um, you know, what should I look for in that fight that won't be discussed in the narrative? Yeah. So the, if you get to talk to Michael Chandler, and by all means, I will help try to connect you with him. I would ask you to ask him 
how, and he's been asked this, I'm sure, but how would you beat Michael Chandler, Michael Chandler? Because that's the key here. Like, Mike, you're not going to take Michael Chandler down. Mm-hmm. And it, you're going to have a hard time fighting with him in any range. You're mm-hmm. not going to out-muscle Michael Chandler. Um, you're not going to be able to out-wrestle him on the cage. Mm-hmm. So if you're fighting Michael Chandler, the route has got to be get to holding his body and then start to wind onto the back leg and climb up, climb up. It has to be. There's no other logical approach other than a body lock. You can't try to grab his legs. You can't try to take him down against the fence. You're not going to. Um, uh, Shevchenko took down her opponent with body locks over and over and over again. You may not take Michael down with it, but you might get to the body lock. And if you get to the body lock, if, if you're Charles Oliveira, you are working on it's something he's great at already, but it's something you're obsessively programming into your brain. I'm going to get to the body lock and I'm going to climb this man. Or I'm going to tangle up in him and trick trip him. You know, there are many tricks you can use. So that's what you have to do if you're Charles Oliveira. Uh, Michael Chandler, I've, you know, I've talked about him. I've broken down most of his stuff. I'm going to do another one for, for Wave TV in uh, the next week. He's the ultimate um, attribute-based fighter, where the blend of what he is and what he does are fucking perfect. He's been, and Henry will get a lot of credit for it, and he should, but but many coaches, great coaches could also do it, but also their relationship, I see it, their relationship is powerful. He's built around his attributes, and his where his attributes end, and his techniques and strategies begin, are blurred. They're all the same thing. That's why he's so fucking hard to fight. That's why he's so hard to fight. Where, how he will, he has the ability to spring in, accelerate, sprint, whatever word you want to use, from nowhere to you, and the techniques to to perfectly harness and harvest that are built right into him. That's why he knocked yep. out Dan Hooker. Michael yeah. Chandler as a as a puzzle piece, and I'm I'm using a little bit of yeah. a TV term yeah. there when I say yeah. that. But Michael Chandler as a puzzle piece, he is so difficult to solve, as you kind of said. Yeah. You know, where do you yeah. fight him at? Yeah. It can cause desperation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So eventually, you're stuck with five options, and you don't yeah. like any of those yeah, options right. you're you're eventually left with all right well what's best case scenario amongst yeah. those five yeah. that's where i want to see what Oliveira essentially decides on doing yeah um, so let's look at it this way hooker uh looked at it and said i think being chill not overly lit don't mm-hmm. over and maybe maybe that wasn't even the plan but that's how he expressed himself that night mm-hmm. be mellow be calm see what he's got that's not the plan against Michael Chandler. We saw that with Dan, but we've seen it with many others too. You often think, what I'll do is I'll just take in all the information. The problem with that is the information comes so quickly <laughs> and, and then you're unconscious. You And it was the same thing when Tyron Woodley knocked out Robbie Lawler. Oh. You can gather all the information you like, but what you, what you haven't done is you haven't trained as a, a fastball hitter is trained to hit 106 mile an hour fastball, not 120 mile an hour fastball, and you're not going to hit it. It hits you and you're unconscious, right? It's it's more than you're able to read. Uh, so don't do that. So 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 what do you do? And the answer, the and this seems counterintuitive, but a lot of times the answer is counterintuitive. Possibly a better answer is go to Michael. Go to him. Mm-hmm. But here, so and Michael and Henry are like, so what would we do if we were fighting us? I'd go to me. 
Okay, great. Uh, you'll see this. You've seen it. Mike's done it a number of times. I've seen it when he trains a lot in rooms where him and Henry are training, and then I trained with Henry. Uh, Michael hits really fucking backing up. So he's going to do that. Oh. Right? Really? Because they know that's what would work. Interesting. What would they do to fight Mike? They'd go to Mike. So Mike goes back, keeps the space, stomp on the back foot as you fire the uppercut, the hook. So now you have to deal with that. You have a strategy that th seems better than moving away or being chill or, or be using circular and lateral movement at distance. Go to Mike. Well, he knows that. He's like, that's what I would do if I was fighting me. So he's prepared for that too. So it's really fucking hard. But Interesting. But, but so you have to get a body lock and you have to try to climb him or tangle him and push a leg out and be use the trickery of jujitsu in place of the explosive, you know, tactics of wrestling. Okay. So as a tool to either get him down or climb up him. Or both. Okay. Because in, in, you know, you've seen his career for so long, you know, those like little intricacies. That's why I, I had to ask you about that question. All right. Last one. And it can be 30 seconds long. It can be 10 yeah. seconds long. Yeah. Is Nate Diaz versus Leon Edwards. The casual fan, me, I represent yeah. the casual yeah. viewer at home. Yeah. Um, Nate Diaz is my favorite fighter of all time. Yeah. He's the one I fell in love with when I first started watching it 10 years old. Yeah. All like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm literally a, a nerd for Nate yeah. Diaz, but historically speaking, he has suffered losses against incredibly strong wrestlers. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was curious, you know, with a Leon Edwards in front of him, does, do you think Nate would take a different approach or do you think he will once again, kind of fall back to being comfortable on his back um, you know, he's always yeah. been very welcoming to say, Hey, come yeah. on down into my world. I would be curious, you know, your thoughts on yeah. that as a matchup, because historically speaking, there are, there is evidence saying that Nate struggles ish. Yeah. I'm not coming yeah. at Nate. And, and if Nate. he knows that he's obviously been mm -hmm. prepping to mm -hmm. make you, there are ways to defeat people who do that. But yeah. So, um, I personally, for people like Nate, Nick, Tony Ferguson, uh, I love the idea of using the guard the way mm -hmm. that it is intended as an offensive position. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. you're going to take me down. I go to guard. I, I feel that I could expend effort fighting this takedown, wrestling with you, grappling, bringing you back up, pushing your head down, whatever, whatever approach. I could. But instead, let's pull you into my guard and fight. Uh, and Jorge did that a little too in round one. Mm -hmm. I think that that was always a workable thing, but because it was common, people got very good at, it's called inside control, where you get either into my biceps or into my armpits and you control me, you open me up and fucking start pounding on me. People got really good at that because they had to. People aren't as good at that at that anymore because they don't have to do it as much because people don't guard, people don't fight from guard, people are always trying to get up. For the last 10 years, people believe the guard is dead. When you are on the ground, get back to your feet. Because everyone's training that, if you're, all your training partners are constantly getting back to the feet, what you get good at is keeping them down or getting to their back. You, what you don't get good at is defending submissions or defending elbows to the head because it's never happening. Your opponents aren't, your training partners aren't doing it. And so that skill can atrophy or just not be as sharp. That's when you do that, is when the world isn't doing that. If you are up to date doing what you hear, you know, the world noticing, if you are now thinking, okay, it's all about calf kicks and feints and whatever, you're fucked. The, the game is, how do I beat people who are all about calf kicks and feints? How do I defeat people who are doing this? 
And you have to be, if you're a 17 year old fighter right now, you're working to beat that thing that's mm -hmm. now working to beat this thing. This is the game. This is also what you're doing with your fucking social media. If you're a business, this is what you're doing, you know, with your business strategy. It's what you're doing when you buy a house and flip a house. It's what you fucking do. This mm -hmm. is the way you, you become successful. And one of the things I hate the most where I know that I'll see somebody there like blah, 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 best practices, best practices. If you're going to incorporate that in your business is worst practices because you're doing what's worked for everybody for the last four years. By the time you get it incorporated, it won't be best practice anymore. The best practice for your business is what your business should be doing in 2023 and then getting to that point. And it's the same with your fighting and it's the same thing with your fucking Instagram. It's the same thing if you renovate homes. It's, just, it's what you do. You have to think about the future, prepare for it. And it's generic because every person is different. So what works what works for your best practices do not necessarily work for my best practice. You know, the best thing you can do is like, you know, I look to Joe Rogan as an interviewer, as a podcast host, and I take notes. Yeah. I'm I've yeah. studied him for He's my entire best. life. He's, the, He's best the best at it. He's the best. But I can't go out and pretend to be Joe Rogan. I'm not no. Joe Rogan. So there's a little bit of like, you know, you take a little bit from the best yeah. people. You know, you apply it to yourself, but you do have uh, have to, at the end of the day, be yourself. I can't yeah. go out, be Joe Rogan, because no. I'm not Joe Rogan. So You're not Joe Rogan. There's certain things that he does that work for him, despite the fact they won't work for us because of who he is. Mm -hmm. You could train me for 15 years to fight like Michael Chandler, and I can never fight like Michael Chandler, because mm -hmm. I am not Michael Chandler. We can take every single 275, 85 pound man on planet earth and try to teach them to fight like Francis Ngannou. They will not fight like Francis Ngannou. If we can take Stipe Miocic and teach him to fight like Francis Ngannou, he will not fight like Francis Ngannou. Uh, the, and that's also why the answer isn't we, the answer isn't the technique. The answer isn't the tactic. The answer isn't the tool because the fucking tool didn't knock out Jorge or, or Wei Li. Uh, the, that's the, the artist using the tool did because it mm -hmm. wasn't what it was when or why or how um you know prince i can pick up prince's guitar all i want i can't fucking yep. play guitar like prince you know <laughs> no it's not about the tool robin you are incredible i want to i want to end on that note right there please everyone this robin black the the absolute goat of <laughs> of mma social media <laughs> no seriously robin thank you so much for the time i took you longer than i needed to and i should have but thank you so much because this is the best part of my week i i yeah. love this i enjoy this with like a deep deep passion thank you so much for the time and enthusiasm my privilege brother enjoy the hostilities my friend Thank you guys for tuning into this episode of In the Fight. Robin is just the absolute best, man. I mean, what, 55, 56 minutes of his time just to break down the fight game? And and as we call it, you know, this isn't really interviewing or anything like that. He he says we're jamming. That's kind of how he describes it. He's like, yo, let's just go into this conversation, have a good time, see how it goes, and, and bounce some ideas off each other. I... I learned so much from him. I, I just really try and check my ego, leave it at the door because this guy knows so much about the fight game. It's absolutely bonkers. It's fucking ridiculous. He is the best at this stuff. So anytime I can take notes, learn from him, I do so. And, and this episode was no different. I cannot wait already to talk to him again. So thank you, Robin. And then thank you, you guys 
for tuning in. If you've gotten this far, goddamn, I love you. So thank you very much. We will be back next week. This is 1.37 p.m. Own your future. Start this minute. 1.37 p.m. is a Gallery Media Group original production.